I know it'll be hard for you to believe, but um, occasionally Karen critiques my sermons, and she has some hard things to say to me sometimes. She she says it very sweetly and nicely, and of course, you know, nobody likes to, I mean, let's just be honest, nobody likes to be critiqued, right? But um, she, <clears throat> I need to hear what she says. I need to hear it, because I'm a, I'm a man, I'm a, I'm a sinful man, I'm a fallible man. And it's important for me to hear what she hears, and, and maybe sometimes what you hear. And one critique I get from her, and this won't, won't surprise any of you, is that I quote John Piper too much. Uh, and I, I told her on that one, I said, it's not my fault. <laughs> it's, it's not my fault that he says cool stuff. You know, he just keeps saying it. He never stops saying cool stuff. Uh, it was 1996. Karen and I had gone to a Christian bookstore in our city. And um, we walked up. I don't remember why we went, but I just remember that out front there was this huge table of discounted books. Just a huge pile of books for a dollar or two dollars, right? And I picked up a book. I saw this book. And it was, the title of it was Desiring God, Meditations of a Christian Hedonist. Now, how many of you read this book? Okay, several. It's by some guy I never heard of. His name's John Piper, right? And, you know, I, when I read the title, Desiring God, That's Good, then, then he talked about being a Christian hedonist, and I thought, there's some dissonance here. This is, I think this is an oxymoron. A Christian hedonist? And I thought, well, this guy must be some liberal guy or some prosperity wacko guy. Right? Christian hedonist, how does that work? How does it how do those two words go together, right? My my first thought again was that this doesn't work. These two words together. It's an oxymoron. The definition of an oxymoron, of course, is a combination of contradictory words. But I was intrigued. I, I Christian hedonist. And then I, my third thought was. Maybe this guy gets it. Maybe this guy's articulating what I've always felt in my heart. That God is the best pleasure. And that true Christianity is about delighting in God. True Christianity is sheer pleasure in Christ. And I'm standing there, I'm thinking, well, is this guy a heretic? You know, or is this guy, you know, is he on it? Did he get it? Is he going to blow me away with this book? And I'm standing there, and my pastor comes up behind me. I didn't know he was there. He comes up behind me, he puts his hand on my shoulder, and I said, I said, Lance, this book, the title of this book is making my head hurt. He goes, read it. The pain will go away. And, okay, that's a short story. That's why I'm a Piper fan. I read his signature work. Desiring God, meditations of a Christian hedonist. And Piper did perfectly articulate and crystallize what I believe to be true about the biblical God. That He is the most breathtaking being in the cosmos. That He is a God of infinite beauty a God of infinite happiness and a God of infinite exuberance. 
Piper, in the book, he makes you understand that God created you and me, His redeemed people, for divine pleasure. Divine pleasure. Pleasure in Him. Pleasure in God. We were created for nothing less than pleasure in God. I love that. And God is the highest, best, and most thrilling and satisfying pleasure there is. And yes, sin, in sin, you and I have settled for lesser pleasures. Pleasures that can never satisfy our human hearts. We talked about it several weeks ago. You may remember, to paraphrase C.S. Lewis, I told you about uh, Lewis's famous quote that mankind is far too easily pleased. Do you remember what that's about? Mankind settles for sin. He leaves off pursuing God, if he ever did, for sin. He finds sin more fascinating. He finds sin more interesting. He finds sin more pleasurable. Wrong! This is Piper's, one of Piper's points. Lewis says, man has settled. Man has settled. God has offered us Himself. And we're saying, no. Do you see the insult here? <laughs> it's not simply foolishness. and blasphemy and gross sin of the basest kind, it's an insult to this God who created us. No, I don't find you interesting. I don't find you interesting enough. My sin's more interesting to me. My pride's more interesting to me. My vanity's more interesting to me. This pleasure's more interesting to me. My career's more interesting to me. You understand? Do you, do you understand the, the insult there, beloved? Mankind in the fall, in sin, mankind has exchanged the paramount, paramount pleasure available to him, which is God, for sugar-coated, inferior, temporary substitutes called sin. That's really what the book's about. And Piper got God so big in my heart and in my mind and so desirable that I made it my purpose to never leave off the pursuit of God again. Yes, I'm a man. I fall. I fail. I sin. But when I do, I confess my sin to my great Redeemer God and I get up again and I begin that pursuit again. He's what I want above everything else. Amen? He's what I want. He's what I want. This is biblical Christianity. If you read the Psalms, it's all throughout the Psalms. This holy lust for God. And this is really what God has called us into, beloved. A holy lust. Obviously, mankind in general has done this. He's exchanged God for lesser, inferior, nominal, sugar-coated pleasure. But sadly, even many who call themselves Christians have done this as well. And so I'll ask you right here, is God your preeminent pleasure? And it's just between you and God. I'm asking you, is God your preeminent pleasure tonight? 
Every day when you get up, is God your pleasure? Is God your first pleasure? God gives us a myriad subordinate pleasures. Praise the Lord. Yeah, He's so good. Yeah, even the watermelon tastes good. It didn't have to taste good, but it tastes good. He gives us subordinate pleasures. But let me ask you, is your first pleasure Christ Jesus? Is He your first pleasure? That's biblical Christianity, beloved. And that's what I see in this psalm. The psalmist is taking deep and abiding pleasure in his God. Let me define hedonism. I, I think you know what it is, but just because I'm going to use the term, I'm going to, I'm going to call it genuine Christianity, I'm going to call it Christian hedonism because our ultimate pleasure is in God. The definition would be the pursuit or devotion to pleasure. And we are the consummate true Christians, born again Christians, we are the consummate hedonists. We are pursuing the greatest pleasure there is, the greatest pleasure in the cosmos. His name is. Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is talking about in John 10.10 when He talks about the abundant life. He says, I've come to give you life that's... you know." I actually did an in-depth study on this, this word uh, for something I did a couple of years ago. And one of the, the, the definitions I saw in the Greek lexicon for the word translated abundant was a more than necessary kind of life. Don't you love that? <laughs> God gives us a more than necessary kind of life. And it's because He's giving Himself to us. And He is our delight. He is our joy. This is my ninth sermon in the Psalms, and I've said this two or three times already, so I'm going to ask you, and I'm beginning to lose confidence in my ability to, to communicate. Uh, we have failed on this a couple of times before, but let's try it again. I'm an, I'm an eternal optimist. Uh, when God commands us to praise Him in the Psalms, what is the implicit? What is the implicit, ma- uh, the, the implicit ma- uh, message? Corn knows. When God says, praise me, you know, C.S. Lewis stumbled over this. He says, God's like an old woman waiting for her next compliment. Why do I need to praise God? Why does He need to tell me to praise God? Corn knows. Implicit in the command is the invitation, come and enjoy. Because as Lewis points out, C.S. Lewis points out that, that praise is the consummation of enjoyment. Praise is the consummation of that which we enjoy. Anytime you see the command in Scripture to praise God, it's God's invitation saying, come, you, you need more of me. You, <laughs> you need to come and get more of me. You need to come and enjoy me. Are you distracted? Are, are, have you set your affections on something less than me? Are you pursuing something um, greater than you pursue me? He's saying, come and enjoy me. Thank you, Corn. Thank you. Christian hedonism is not logical dissonance. It's not an oxymoron. It's not funky prosperity theology. It's not a liberal heresy. It's true biblical Christianity. I delight in my God. And as the psalmist say over and over and over and over again, He is my greatest desire. He is my greatest love, my greatest passion. So in Psalm 96, we see the psalmist just taking sheer personal pleasure in God. 
If you look at the psalm, you'll see the word Lord 11 times. He's looking at Yahweh, right? He's just looking at Yahweh. And you're going to see 16 characteristics of God in the psalms. He's just, he's just listing some of them. Obviously, there's no way you can list all of them because He's infinitely uh, yeah, awesome. So you can't list them all, but he, in, in 13 verses, He lists 16 characteristics of God. But parallel to that, He lists 9 characteristics of the Christian hedonist. Nine characteristics of the one who loves him, the one who is walking with him, the one who is, who is pursuing him. So, a little bit of an introduction there. Um, Psalm 96, verses 1 and 2. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Proclaim good tidings of His salvation from day to day. This is the first characteristic of a Christian hedonist. We sing. We sing. We sing. Now, you say, well, Jim, I don't sing well. That's not what I'm talking about. You know? I'm talking about your life, which is a symphony to God. Yes, we, we can talk about this as literal singing, of course. Of course, it's literal singing. We come and we literally sing to Jesus, right? But the deeper meaning is your life is a symphony to sing to God. And everyone in your orbit can hear the song, right? They can hear it by the way you speak, the way you act, the way you serve, the way you love, the way you give, the way... Yeah. It's in your life. It spills out, as we say all the time. If it's real, if it's in there, if God's in there, if God's done the, the work in your heart, if He's done that heart transplant, it spills out. And part of what is being said here is it's a symphony of our life. It's a soulish song, right? It's, that, it's a soulish song that's running between Him and me. And people in my orbit can hear it. Maybe not audibly, but they can hear it. They can hear it. We sing, our song is, Joyful, joyful, we adore Thee. Amen? I love that song. We need to sing it sometime. Joyful, joyful, we adore Thee. It's who our Creator God is. It's what our Redeemer God has done. I love, the, I love this, this one line in that hymn. He is the giver of what? Someone tell me. He is the giver of what? Immortal gladness. Doesn't that sound like fun? I got to tell you, you know, I, I tell you all the time, Christianity is not a, a religion. Of course, all the other world religions, they are technically religions. They fit that definition. Biblical Christianity is not a religion. It's just not. It's a relationship. That's, that's, that, that's what it is. And, and he's a giver of immortal gladness. What makes Christianity so much fun? And I'm talking about biblical Christianity. I'm not talking about dead orthodoxy. I'm talking about biblical Christianity when you actually go out in the world and live it. And God just keeps meeting you in obedience. You say, well, this, this obedience is hard. God just keep, keeps showing up, right? This is what happens in the Christian's life. That's why it's fun. It's fun to live huge for Jesus because Jesus just keeps showing up in your life. You know, He just keeps coming. So John... Uh, 15 thing, right? He just keeps disclosing himself. 
to us. I love how Matthew Henry talks about this new song mentioned here in the psalm. It's a new song. He says, it's the song, it's the product of new affections. Right? The product of new affections. It's the product of what God's done in your heart. You caught a glimpse of Jesus Christ. Nothing else will really satisfy you ever again. As Charles Spurgeon said, we are spoiled for the world. It's over with the world. I may stumble and fall. I may get distracted, but my heart is not in the world. I don't love the world. I don't love the things of the world. I love Christ Jesus. And man, I'm going to walk with Him. And here's the cool thing. When I fail, when I sin, when I fall, He showers me with grace and mercy. Jim, get back up. Walk with me. Walk with me. It's an awesome thing. <laughs> it's an awesome thing. Did you notice here, um, seeing all the earth, this is not a Jewish song. It's what? Someone tell me. It's a global song. The first global hit, right? The first global hit, Jesus is God. And I know we're, this is before the cross. I get it. But we're still talking about the same God. We're still talking about Jesus Christ. It's the first global hit. And God's elect encompasses every nation, tongue, and tribe as Revelation 5.9 tells us. And because the Christian hedonist gets the whole enemies to co-heirs thing, I've mentioned this several times, you guys, we were the enemies of God, and now we're the co-heirs with Christ. Because we understand that, we do see. Our lives sing. There's this quality to our lives. I'm not saying we don't struggle. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm not saying we don't hurt. I'm not saying we don't get depressed. I'm not saying we don't grieve. I'm not saying any of that. But I'm saying through it all we sing because our God is God. And those in our orbit hear it. So maybe a good question for you and me. What, what are the people in my orbit hearing? <laughs> what do they hear in my, in my words? What do they hear in my deeds? What are they hearing Verse 2, bless His name. Simply, the, the, the word blessed, we, we, we kneel consciously, subconsciously before the Lord. We kneel before Him. We salute Him. We praise Him. We adore Him. We worship Him. The second characteristic here is that we proclaim or declare the salvation of Jesus Christ. It's on our lips. Right? That's the second characteristic of a Christian hedonist. It's on our lips. We don't just do this on Sunday. We do it every day. Verse 2, day to day we do it. We proclaim the greatness of God. We proclaim the greatness of our salvation. We proclaim it in our words. We proclaim it in our deeds. This is what a Christian hedonist does. He proclaims. I like what John Piper says about this. Oops. He says, you were made for this. You were made to sing the greatness of God in your life. You were made for this. This is why your life has eternal significance. You know, people come to me with problems and we all have problems. But it's kind of like they've lost their significance. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
Sometimes people feel like they've lost their significance. Maybe a man's lost a job or a woman's, lo- you know, a woman's lost a, a spouse who's walked out on her. Whatever it is. No! No matter how hard you hurt, you've never lost your significance. Your significance is in God. It's in Christ Jesus. That's your significance. Don't let the devil sell you a lie. Your significance is in nothing less than God Himself. That is your significance, beloved. Your God has loved you. Your God has died for you. Your God is holding you. And your inheritance is imperishable. (laughs) Don't let anybody reign on your... Significance. So, Christianity is not in, just in how we talk, it's how we walk, it's in all the things we do on a daily basis. And as the text says, day to day. Verses 3 and 4 Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. This is the third characteristic there we tell. It's a lot like proclaim, but we tell we don't just proclaim the salvation. That's that's verse verse two, verse three. We're telling of the glory of God. We don't simply talk about the salvation, we talk about the greatness of Christ. Amen. So we've got something else to say. It's the third characteristic. We talk about, we're talking about, we're constantly talking about the glory of Jesus, the wonderful deeds of Jesus, the, His greatness, and even His fearsomeness. In these first four verses of Psalm 96, it's the Great Commission. Jesus said, go and tell. That's what we do. We tell. We tell. In, in, in our daily lives. Some of us may be missionaries. Some of us may be pastors. But most of us aren't. But you tell in your daily life. In whatever your career, vocation may be. So we are singing, proclaiming, and telling of the greatness of Christ. The greatness of His works. He is the glorious God. A God of, of wonderful deeds. A God who took on flesh, became a man, was nailed to a tree, went into a tomb, came out, and now is at the right hand of God. You don't have anything to say? Are you kidding me? Right? You got plenty to say, man. Go out in the world and say it. This is an aw- he's an awesome God, man. You know, how can we not talk about this? I I don't know. Something's wrong if we don't have something to say about the Lord. And he is to be feared above all other so-called gods. It's important, beloved, that we say these things. You know, the world has the impression because of the weak preaching in much of the modern church today that Jesus is just going to wink at sin and say, it's okay, don't worry about it. I'm Jesus meek and mild. Everybody's welcome, come on. You know, there's this, there's this thing that, that it's just false. That's false. That's a false gospel. We come on God's terms. We don't come on our own terms. There's one way to God. There's not two. All the world religions are false. I know the world hates it when we talk like this, but they're false. By definition, they're false. If Jesus is telling the truth, they're false. Beloved, 
And pseudo-Christianity may be the worst. Pseudo-Christianity that preaches this sweet Jesus. He's just a sweet Jesus. He's not going to judge anybody. If we've read our Bibles, we know that Jesus Christ is not one-dimensional. He has revealed the fullness of His characteristics. Verses 5 and 6, For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. I noticed in my study this week that the most literal translation I have from the Greek, it doesn't use the word idol, it uses the word naught, which I think is good because I think sometimes when, when moderns see the word idol in the text, they immediately think I'm exempt from this text because I don't bow down before carved pieces of, of carved wood and uh, molded gold. I don't bow down. I don't bow down to idols. And I think sometimes when you read the word idol, you just simply say, well, I'm, I'm exempt here. This is not about me. Well, what is it that modern man and women, what, what is it that we bow down to? <laughs> what, is it that, uh, what is it that we pursue? What is it that we desire? above God? What is it that we, believe it or not, could, could enjoy above enjoying God? Money, possessions, careers, pleasures, reputations, style, houses, investments, security, comfort, leisure, happiness, husbands, wives, children, etc., etc., etc. Every one of those things can become an idol. Under the Lordship of Christ, most of those are legitimate. But if it becomes your God... It is an idol. And I like the text says, if you use the word not here, it's for not. You know, it's for not. If you've loved anything more than you love Christ Jesus, your life is for not. It's nothing. You've lived it for nothing. This is what the text is saying. True Christianity is the purest form of hedonism, we will not love and pursue these lesser things. God blesses us with them, praise the Lord. But that is not where my affections are. My affections are on God. Not on the blessings of God as the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is always pointing to the, the, the blessings of God and making them an idol instead of simply being in love with God and and trusting whatever God provides for us, and being satisfied and content, as Paul told Timothy, with those things. He is the God who speaks 400 plus billion galaxies into existence. A God of splendor, a God of majesty, a God of strength, and a God of beauty. I love how God talks about this through His prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 55, listen to this, verses 1-3. through three. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He's talking about you know, the thirst that's within the heart of man, that uh, eternity that, that God has put in the heart of man. And you have no money, come, buy, eat, come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Why do you waste your money and your time and your energy on that which can never bring you any true lasting pleasure? This is the question of God. Why do you do it? Then he says, listen to me. 
eat what is good, delight yourself in abundance, incline your ear, and come to me. That's what God says. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. The Gospels, God is just simply trying to rescue us from our own insanity. You know? We're wanting to love this little bitty, small, you know, temporal thing. And God is saying, here I am. Here I am. Enjoy me. Enjoy me. <laughs> this is what God is saying to us. Verses 7 through 9. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. This would be the fifth and sixth. Pardon me. This will be the fourth characteristic of, of a Christian hedonist. We ascribe. It's kind of an obscure word in the English. We, we give or we assign or we attribute glory to God. This is what Christian hedonists do. And then the fifth and sixth characteristic we see. We... We bring an offering into His courts. God's people are coming into His courts. In our vernacular, we can say he, God's people are in the church. Amen? God's people are in the church. We love God. We love to come and be in His house. We love to, together with the people of God, we love to come and use our gifts in the, in the body of Christ. Sunday is not an issue of convenience for me. It's a priority for me. I build my work, my, my whole week around it. To come into the courts of God and bring Him an offering. How many times have we seen this in the Psalms already? I've, I know I've talked about it at least three times. The psalmists are always talking about being in the presence of God, being with the people of God, meeting before God, and bringing Him an offering. It's what Christian hedonists do. You can't stop them. They come to church. You can't stop them. That's why a church plant's always a pretty—it's a pretty good bet. Because God's people have come through the door. God's people have been coming through the door for ten years. We came here. There was nobody here. But we believed God's people would come through the door. Guess what? God's people come through the door. The only reason the church is open right now, the only reason the door is open right now, is because God's been sending people through the door for ten years. It's because internationals come here, they, they need to be with God's people. They need to sit under the preached Word of God. And we need to bring an offering. The, the Christian hedonist loves God more than money. He loves God more than the things money can buy. Verses 9 and 10, Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns indeed. The world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. This will be the seventh and eighth characteristic of a Christian hedonist. We worship in holy attire. Now, I noticed when Blessin read the text, the holiness was attributed to God. And some scholars attribute the holiness here to God. I tend to think it's talking about the holiness of God's people. Now, it's, it's debatable. I'm not dogmatic about this. But I will approach it that we're talking about us coming before God in holy attire. Is, is He talking about what we're wearing on the outside? <laughs> no. He's talking about how we've clothed our hearts in coming before Him. Right? Humility. 
contrition, repentance. These kinds of these kinds of issues. Reverent, sincere, earnest, adoring, expectant. Do you come here expectant? Don't ever come, listen. It's blasphemous. Don't come to church without expectation. I think it's a form of blasphemy. You should expect to encounter God and be changed by God, to hear the voice of God. Did you notice also that we tremble before Him? All the earth, but even His people. Do you know all the benefits that accrue to a man who will fear God? Do you know, do you know your Bibles? Uh, I'm going to read you a list. It's, it, this, if you want the list of, of Scripture, I'll give it to you, but these are all biblical words. I'm just going to read it to you in two quick lines. The man who fears the Lord, it means that we have God's friendship. We have God's watch care. We have God's wisdom. We have God's protection. We have God's provision. We have God's pity. We have God's pleasure. We have God's satisfaction. And we have God's love. Some people think, well, the fear of God is a negative. Wrong! It's a positive. It's a huge biblical positive. To fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning. When God gives you that heart transplant, right? <laughs> yeah. We fear Him in the right way. It's simply um, a creature acknowledging His Creator in reverence and honor and rejoicing in God as God. I love what Spurgeon says about this quickly. Spurgeon says this trembling before the Lord. It's a sacred trembling and is not inconsistent with joy. He goes on, our hearts, I love, I love this, listen to this. This is the best line I, I read in my research. Our hearts quiver with an awful excess of delight. <laughs> Amen. Our hearts quiver with an awesome excess of delight. We're so delighted in this God, we tremble. That's one sense in which I, I'd never thought about it. I think it's, I think it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thought. The ninth characteristic here, verse 10, is that Jesus Christ is Lord and He reigns and He will judge the earth. He will judge the earth. Again, in this church we don't preach cartoon Jesus. We preach the biblical Jesus. In these last days, many people prefer the cartoon Jesus. They just, they just tell me something nice about Jesus. It's not going to upset my weekly schedule or upset my career, or upset my marriage, or upset my finances. I don't want to, anything that's going to you know, be uncomfortable. I don't want to hear about a risky Jesus. Tell me about sweet Jesus. Right? But if you actually read the words of the Gospel, you realize it's anything, it's, it's, it's risky. Let me just say it this way. It's risky to go with Jesus. He says it over and over and over again. The world will hate you. And did you notice Jesus will judge the earth with equity? What does it mean, equity? Everybody gets what they deserve. That's in short what it means. Everybody gets what they deserve. Every outstanding moral account will be settled either on the cross or in hell. Equity. Perfect equity. Everybody gets what they deserve except those who are in Christ. 
He got what I deserved. Amen? This is what, this is what the Bible is saying. It's talking about equity, perfect equity, perfect justice. Did you notice verse 11 and 12? Let me read it to you quickly. Let the earth, the heavens uh, be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the seas roar and all that it contains. Let the field exalt and all that it is in it. And all the trees and forests will sing for joy. I'm not going to cover these verses in detail. We've talked about this several times through this series that the whole created order is worshiping God. But did you notice here in this text, why is the whole creation, or the, the, whole, the whole created order worshiping God? What does it say right there in the very first part of verse 13? Someone tell me. Why is the created order worshiping God? Tell me. Someone tell me. What does it say in verse 13? Let the, let, let the created worship, the created order worship before the Lord, for He is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. Do you hear it? You know, it's, it's, it makes you think of the words of Paul, Romans chapter 8, where he talks about the anxious longing of the created order, eager, waiting eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God, for creation has been subjected to futility and longs to be set free from its slavery to, the, to corruption and into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This is, the created order is waiting to be set free. It has been Sub subjected to futility by God because of the sin of man. As one theologian said, the, the asteroid on the farthest side of the cosmos has been affected by my sin. The whole cosmos has been judged because of the sin of man. And the created order worships because Jesus is coming and there will be perfect equity. There will be perfect equity. Everything will be set right. So in Psalm 96, the psalmist is taking pleasure in who Jesus is. Let me just go through these. I didn't highlight these as I went through, but here they are. The 16 characteristics of God. He is Lord. He is glorious. He's, he's, author, he's the author of wonderful deeds. He's great. He's fearsome. He's creator. He's full of splendor. He's majestic. He's strong. He's beautiful. He's holy. He's sovereign. He's, he's a judge. He's righteous. He's faithful. And He is coming. And because all of that is true and infinitely more, the Christian hedonist sings, he proclaims, he tells, he ascribes glory to God. He comes to God's house and he brings God an offering. He worships and he fears the Lord. He says the truth about Jesus Christ's return and judgment. John Piper is right. The true Christian is, is the consummate hedonist. <laughs> And you can, you can see it, you can feel it in these psalms we've been studying. These, these psalmists are just in love with God. They're just delighting in God. They're just enjoying God. They can't help it. They've got to praise God. Isn't that how you feel? I can't help it! I've got to praise God. I've got to praise God. So, as I close tonight, let me ask you, are you a Christian Edenist? Is God your highest pleasure? If He is, you're His. If He's not, I don't think you've met Him yet. Because once you meet Him, He cannot not be your highest pleasure. He's so breathtakingly compelling. So, let me just put it this way. 
And it's a good thing for a pastor to do, lovingly do on occasion. So I ask you, if you're here tonight, you call yourself a Christian, and you can't honestly confess before God that you are indeed a Christian hedonist, that you find your highest pleasure in Him. I lovingly say to you what the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians. You go home and you examine yourself before the Lord. You examine your profession of faith before God. It may be the most loving thing I say to you guys. I probably don't say it very often. Examine yourself. Examine yourself before God. As Paul told the Corinthians, and if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you've never professed to be a Christian, you don't pretend to be a Christian, you're just here because who knows why? You just, for, for some reason, in the providence of God, you found yourself here. <clears throat> I say to you by the authority of the Word of God who made the heavens, verse 5 of Psalm 96, God has created you for infinite joy, infinite pleasure. And you can have that in Jesus Christ. If you don't know what that means, if the gospel of, the, uh, the gospel of Christ has never been explained to you, if you're confused, if you've come out of a pseudo-church, or if you came out of a works church, or if you came out of a sacrament church, and you don't really understand what it means to be saved by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone, you come talk to me. We'll talk about it. I love Psalm 96. It's a Christian hedonist loving his God. That's what I challenge you to do when you leave. You go out in the world this week. You love God. Let your song be heard. Let your symphony be heard. Everyone in your orbit, let it be heard. Sing to the Lord a new song. Amen. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Amen. Sing to the Lord and bless His name. For He is God and nobody else is. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, thank You that we can know You this way. We've read our Bibles. We understand. We should just go to our judgment. But it takes our breath away that You have died for us. Lord, some of us here may need to confess that we have become distracted with things in our lives. We have allowed some things to take the first place in our heart. Lord, we confess our sin. And as we confess it, we know Your grace is raining down upon us. Lord, teach us to love You supremely, preeminently, before anything else. Teach us how to love You, Lord. For we know, <laughs> we know that Christian hedonism is true. We know You are the best pleasure. So Lord, we offer up our lives to You. We offer up our lives to You. Glorify Yourself in us, Lord. Glorify Yourself in us. We pray in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.
Should we sing or no? I tell you what, uh, <clears throat> I will just. <clears throat>